Hello, and welcome to Ballistic Performance Radio. This is your one-stop shop for all things nutrition, fitness, and mindset. Our goal is to help you make fitness and nutrition a part of your life, not your whole life. We discuss a variety of topics, including faith, self-awareness, sustainability and consistency, training programs, grocery store navigation, and how to enjoy your favorite foods without guilt or remorse. There is a lot of noise out there in the world of health and fitness, so we're here to provide real, reliable, and practical answers and recommendations that will keep you moving forward on your journey. My wife Ashley and I are your hosts, and please do not hesitate to reach out on social media to say hello, ask questions, or comment on this week's episode. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Alright everybody, welcome back. This is episode, what is this, 122? Yeah. 122. <laughs> and uh, obviously we're here with Ash because you just heard her, but we also have a special guest on the show. And so I'm going to give Teresa, you a minute to introduce yourself and explain a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you do it. So Teresa, go ahead and take it away. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. So I am basically someone who's living the life she thought she never wanted. <laughs> my goal for my life was to get my master's and doctorate in art history, move to Italy, be in, you know, work for some fantastic museum, preferably in Italy, because I'm sure that was a very easy job to get, <laughs> and live a very international life. Um, kids were never part of the plan. I did not like them. They did not like me. I could probably count on one hand how many times I had ever babysat. Uh, and they were all disasters, like <laughs> locking ourselves out of the house pre-cell phone and just, you know, spilling grape juice on grandma's antique handmade, you know, tablecloths. All just every time it was a disaster. So Kids were not in my plan, um, and I really thought that because there aren't very many Christians in the art world, I thought that I wanted to be a light um, in that industry, and that is not at all <laughs> how my life turned out. So um, now we have six kids, four of them are from Ethiopia, um, two biological. And um, we do live a very international life, but it's through Africa and it's has nothing to do with Europe. And really, I didn't think that it had much to do with art. Um, I really felt like I was supposed to step away from that for almost two decades. When I realized that as I'm writing Bible studies, that's exactly how I study scripture. I My favorite part of um, studying art was trying to figure out what was going on in the head of the artist and what inspired a piece to be created. And um, instead of figuring out socioeconomic stuff, you know, going on in society at the time or whatever, political events, instead, um, you know, to have a painting or a sculpture inspired by, instead I'm digging into all that stuff in behind the scenes and in scripture. So yeah, I have four Bible studies and one uh, just regular book 
Um, is this recorded on video? No. Your people see. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So um, it's very funny. It makes me laugh every time I think about my life, about how I thought I had it all planned out. And in reality, um, not at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that. And I appreciate you sharing all that. And I think that was a great way to sort of summarize your entire story. And obviously we're going to dig into it there. Uh, did you ask if anyone can see you because you have pink hair? No, because I was going <laughs> to point at books that are on my shelf behind me. <laughs> I, I just know you yeah, share about that whole hair. story with the pink hair. So I thought maybe that's what you were going to lead towards there. But obviously all the books are behind you as well. Um, no, and I think, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show is we had met through Empower and formed a, a little bit of a connection there. But seeing a lot of your content centered around faith and just sharing your story as I dug further into it, I thought this is going to be a really awesome conversation. And we got really excited. And I know Ashley's probably like getting ready to jump out of her seat because she's obsessed with Africa as well. <laughs> and she is very strong in her faith. So she probably is going to, we're going to get off this podcast and she's going to be like, Oh my God, I could be her friend. <laughs> oh my God. I love her. Um, yeah, we're friends. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole pink hair thing. Do you want the background on that? Uh, yeah, go for it. It's a little story. So I wanted pink hair since high school. And I really struggled with insecurity. And I was the shyest person you would ever meet. Like if I spoke, there would be people making fun of me because, oh my gosh, she talked. Um, just so many insecurities. And I really felt like if I had pink hair, people would think that I was not smart or I, you know, at the, at the time back in the late nineties, it was just like the rockers that <laughs> had different colored hair. Now it's everybody, you know, it, people don't look at it the same, but at the time I was afraid that people wouldn't think that I was smart. And that's already an identity that I struggled with because I didn't think that I was. Um, and I didn't think that people would look at me as being serious in my faith. Um, and really, I just thought that people would think that I was doing it for attention. So fast forward again, 20 years, and I was sitting in my hairdresser, who's a dear friend of mine in her chair one day, and she had light pink hair at the time. And I was saying, you know, I'm heading toward 40 and I missed my window and I'm too old for this. And she was like, I'm sorry, two things. One, who told you you're too old? And, you know, who creates these rules that we think that we need to live by? And two, my mom's in her 60s and has bright purple hair. And really, it came out that she was like, you're living a timid life. And I said, well, I would, you know, I've been to Africa all these times. We've adopted these kids. I've written books. I've gotten on stages. I've done all sorts of things that, to me, doesn't feel timid. And she was like, oh, cool. Good for you. I'm glad that you can do some big things. But can you do can you live not timid in the normal day to day? And I was like, Oh <laughs> yeah, you're right. I am absolutely living timid. So it is, I left that day with this uh, hot pink chunk underneath that I could hide if I wanted to. And about a year later I went all pink and it is truly my daily reminder to live outside my comfort zone. 
Oh, I have chills. I love that. Did you know that story? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I stalked Teresa right before this. So. Yeah, he like does a lot of like information. I know nothing like besides what, what we've talked about. Wow, that's amazing. So now it's been about six years. Five years, six years, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Now when she first said to you, my mom is 60 and has purple hair or whatever it was, were you also thinking, well, you're a hairdresser and your mom's probably a nut job? <laughs> um, no, I initially thought, well, yeah, older ladies who have white hair sometimes use too much purple shampoo and get <laughs> get purple hair, you know, just like, you know what I'm saying? But she showed me a picture of her mom and I'd known Kat, my hairdresser, for years. Um, but I had at that point not met her mom and I have since gotten to know her, but she is this vibrant, vivacious, you would never know she's in her 60s. She looks like she's 45 and yeah, um, bright purple kind of, yeah, just, she's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of leaving the shampoo in too long, Ash has done that before yeah, and ended up with purple hair. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like every too many has times. made that mistake at some point. <laughs> It was like right after you got it done too and you thought this is perfect. Like you were obsessed with it. Oh yeah. And then it <laughs> got just a little tin of purple and everyone makes the comment like, oh, I love it. I'm like, mm -hmm, thanks. It's not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. I think that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to chat about next. And that's the fact that you talk a lot about living in the and and mm -hmm. the purple hair, I think is a good example, right? Because you have, or excuse me, the pink hair because you have pink hair and you're a Christian or fill in the blank. And so do you mm -hmm. want to just talk a little bit about how specifically in your life, you're living out that mantra? Yeah. And I think that it really first came to be when I was in the midst of exhaustion and being a relatively new mom, because, you know, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm just a mom. I'm sorry. No, that is not a thing. You are not ever just a mom. There is so much identity in addition to being a mom. So now I obviously work full time and am a mom. But even back then when I was steeped in diapers and barely sleeping through the night, I was more than one thing. You are never just a mom. Um, and you are never just a student. You are never just a whatever it is. And, um, you know, even now they, the publishing house has coined me the pink haired theologian. And to me, those things clash, you know, I think that a lot of older white male <laughs> Christians would probably be like, I don't think you can be a pink haired theologian. Um, but it's very freeing. So you know, again, for me, being an introvert and being very shy, I love conversations like this because I'm very comfortable one on one, but get me in a big room and I will head straight to the food table to, you know, look busy or I will ask if I can help out. And um, but parties are my favorite thing in the world at the same time. So it does not make sense. Like I in our little community, I'm known as the party girl, not party girl, but the one that loves to host parties all the time. And I love to care for people, but yet, and I am very shy and introverted. So it can be in so many aspects, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I Now, with the party example, do you think that's because you love just, like, loving on people and caring for people? And you, I know, like, just from doing my research on you, you're, like, a perfectionist, so you like planning the event and having it go smoothly. Is that what, it, like, draws you to that side of things? I think a lot of it stems back to my mom because my mom has always just been the most wonderful hostess and um, does love on people really well. So I've just grown up with that and seen it. But I also think that it stems from my creativity. And I know that you and I spoke, you know, via DMs on Instagram about having wasted gifts. And a number of years ago now, we had a gentleman in our house who was building, he was a woodworker and he was building our fireplace, hearth and some other stuff. And he was a Christian and um, we had kind of had him in and out of the house for various projects. So we knew him a bit. It wasn't completely random, but he saw a painting on our wall and he asked who, um, who had painted it. And I had years, years before in college, um, it was a, like a self-study painting that we were supposed to do. And I told him that it was me and admittedly, it's really good. I don't think I could paint like that now because I'm out of the habit, but at the time I was painting every single day and it's a beautiful painting. And he asked to see some of my current work. And I said that I probably hadn't painted really in 10 years. And he just basically shamed me. And how dare you waste a gift that God has given you Um, just really went off on me. And again, I knew him a little, but definitely not in the capacity where someone had the authority to speak into my life like that. And I am a slow processor. So I'm the kind of person that goes away from a conversation and thinks about the thousand things I should have said. Um, So I just kind of took it and was like, yeah, you're right. I need to paint again more or whatever. and, And just kind of moved on through the conversation. Well, for months and now for years, it has stayed with me. And I realize I'm not a painter. I can paint, but I'm a creator. I love absolutely anything creative, whether it's arranging flowers, whether it's interior design or graphic design or hosting parties. Like I truly consider putting together a party or an event to be the same capacity creative wise as, um, a painting or anything of that sort. And I think that it's just such a good reminder that we can't speak into someone's life if we don't truly know them in the day to day. It's not our place. So, you know, so many times on social media or wherever you see people, um, you know, there's judgment there. And often there, you don't have the place to really say anything. Um, you need to truly know the person. Um, and it also just reminded me that I need to, um, be okay with someone not necessarily liking how I'm living my life. And that does even go back to the pink hair, even, um, you know, my parents don't like my pink hair and my parents hate the fact that I have a tattoo on my wrist. They say that it's going to ruin my ministry. And I had a conversation with my publisher even about it. And he was like, oh, honey, tell them they're not in your target audience. (laughs) And, you know, they're not your ideal customer, essentially. Mm -hmm. And 
we just need to be comfortable being us. So all those years that I didn't have pink hair or I didn't do this or that um, makes me sad because there were so many years that I could have just truly enjoyed being me and where I felt like God was asking me to go instead of being so concerned about what other people thought or wanted for me. Yeah. Wow. That's deep. And there's a ton to unpack there, but uh, (laughs) I really love that explanation or that answer, I guess you could say. And I think the first thing I wanted to touch on is it, it's so funny to me how like the church has changed over the last like 30 to 50 years, especially to where, you know, when we talk about like our parents' generation with when they think tattoos, pink hair, like all these things that don't belong in the church. And then now you have bands like Elevation who are total hipsters who've got crazy haircuts (laughs) and they've got tattoos and they're wearing skinny jeans and all this shit. And you, I mean, my pastor for years, for decades, had a tattoo on his forearm of a trout because he was a big outdoorsman. And I remember when he first got it, because he was my best friend's dad, he, I mean, it was like the church wanted to implode or explode. I don't know which one, because everyone thought, how can the preacher have a tattoo on his forearm like that everybody can clearly see? Uh, But it's just crazy how that's changed. But I think it's changed for the, for the best, because now you're like your publisher said, you're reaching a whole new demographic and a whole new target audience and the church overall is reaching a whole new generation of kids who can look at it in a much different way you know when we were growing up church was like catholic or methodist go in be dressed to the to the nines sit down say your hymns yada yada and now it's you've you've got great music you've got awesome worship you've got really enthusiastic and energetic pastors leading the church and it's just crazy how far it's come That's a conversation that my husband, Ben, and I had, especially a lot when we were newly married, because um, I grew up in a family where, again, it's very Wally Cleaver, like everything is 1950s, you look nice all the time, Uh, you never act out, just very image conscious is kind of how I was raised, versus, and so you dress up for church. And you dress up for the airport like there would never be a time i would be on an airplane in what i would wear now <laughs> you know yoga pants and a sweatshirt or whatever no you dress up you wear your heels you you look nice and versus my husband who has a polar opposite story than mine you know his he his parents divorced when he was two his mom eventually remarried a very abusive man ben was thrown down staircases in elementary school he was had lots of bones broken especially because he tried to protect his sisters and so he would get the brunt of a lot of the anger from his stepdad and eventually sent off to a boarding school for troubled kids because no wonder he's troubled (laughs) because there's a lot of um toxic life going on at home and um eventually comes back and uh in high school, he is thrown out of the house by his mom. Um, he was not a safe person at the time, making bad decisions and um, in and out of juvie and such. And she finds him living in the back woodshed in the backyard. And she's she's like, no, seriously, you, you need to be out, out. So he never graduated high school. He was literally homeless um, at 16, 17. And um, 
So he comes to, and, and his stepdad was a deacon in the church. Um, and so he comes to faith differently than I do because he has so much trauma in his background. So to him, dressing up on Sunday means being fake because he would see his stepdad dress up in his suit every Sunday morning and then they'd go home and he'd get beat. Um, and it was so, you know, Ben will put on he's he's a president of a company now, so it cracks me up that he still is such a California board short kind of guy. So during the weekday, he'll wear his nice suits and then for church, he'll put on, you know, vans and some baggy jeans and a backwards cap and <laughs> just he's very, you know, skaterish still. And uh, that's how he wants to go to church. And so there were a lot of years of me feeling embarrassed because, oh my gosh, you have to look a certain way. You have to act a certain way. And just getting rid of those really honestly toxic thoughts that we were raised to believe is okay. And even yesterday, are you guys fans of Bob Goff? Yeah, I've read a few things. So yesterday I was reading his newest book called Undistracted. And he was talking about how um, we have created rules around even our morning quiet time that it's nowhere in the Bible. Like it doesn't say that you need to spend an hour reading scripture and praying every morning or whatever it is that, you know, your faith community is deciding it needs to look like. And he was like, every morning I do my quiet time by, he calls his wife, Sweet Maria. Um, every morning I spend my quiet time with God while washing Sweet Maria's car. And he's like, I pray the whole time. And she can tell if I'm really struggling through something because I get the brush out and I get in the wheel wells. And, um, and I just thought that was a beautiful picture of what life with God really looks like. It should just be in our typical day-to-day, -day, not we have to have something regimented and rule-based. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Uh, and it makes me think immediately. We had a, we're in a small group here, a life group, whatever you want to call it. And we just had a conversation around the fact that one of uh, my good friends, he's like a box checker, right? He's like the guy who wants to check all the boxes and do all the things the right way and get all the things done and like be fulfilled by seeing it all done. And so when it comes to his devotionals and his, and his time with God, his dad taught him from a young age because he knew he was like that, not to make it so regimented and structured and to have it be more free flowing and really no constraints whatsoever. Because if not, it does turn into something like you were getting at where we have these rules we need to follow and we're kind of boxed into this, this structure of, okay, this is how you do your prayer. This is how you do your time with God. This is how you should do your devotional. So I can completely relate to that. And then circling back to something else that you had said earlier, you know, placing your identity in one thing versus living in that and, so to speak. And that's something we talk about a lot with, with clients, specifically people who were either prior athletes or who become like essentially addicted to fitness mm -hmm. and help them identify with the fact that, Hey, you're not just the crossfitter or like, you're not just the fitness chick or, you know, fill in the blank, but you can easily fall into that, that rabbit hole and feel trapped there. And then you do lose your entire identity within your relationships, within your hobbies, your, even your profession and within your family, because you're identifying with this one specific thing. So 
I love the way you're utilizing that concept to not only like embrace all of your various identities, but to really also, I think, tangent to that, say like, hey, my identity is actually in Christ, but then I am all of these other things on top of that. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Love that. Do uh, you have anything to add, Ash? No, I'm just taking it all in. Taking it all in. <laughs> like, I think I'm going to have chills the next, <laughs> next 30, 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, she might be stalking you after this. Okay. Uh, anyway, so you mentioned your mom of six, uh, big creative individual, and you ha- you play all of these various roles in your life. But the one I want to focus on first is the fact that you're a wife and obviously a mother as well. But when did you meet your husband? How did you meet your husband? And how did you know that this is my dude? Like this is, this is the guy I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Yeah. So the, the real version, Ben hates that I tell, cause he's like, it's so long and has so many details. <laughs> but I feel like we need a bottle of wine for the long version, but I'll give you the in essence of our story. Sounds good. So, um, I grew up mostly in Seattle. And after graduating college, I was managing a really fun restaurant on the, on the waterfront in Seattle. And there was just some stuff going on and I was not making the best decisions. And I ended up stepping away from that job because I either needed to get a restraining order against someone or I just needed to walk away. And um, at the time I was a conflict avoider so I just needed, wanted to step away and not deal with any of that anymore. So I did, and I met with my mentor. Her name was Heather, or is Heather. And at the time she worked for the Gates Foundation and she was Bill Gates Sr.'s right-hand girl. Like she was his assistant and helped just, she knew a lot of people. <laughs> and um, so we were, um, together one day out walking around, um, this fun lake area in Seattle called Green Lake. And I just said, you know, here's where I am. This is what's going on. I need to, I really want to move to DC. I said, I, and there's a lot of backstory to why, but essentially I really wanted to be where decision-making was being had and where things were moving and shaking and just, you know, I wanted to be part of that hubbub. And so um, we talked that through a little bit and I was like, I don't care if I'm getting coffee or copies for someone on the hill. I just want to be out there. And so she said, well, I let's meet in two weeks. I will, you know, kind of brainstorm and see what strings I can pull and just see where you would be a good fit. Um, And, you know, let's just keep praying about it. So we met again in two weeks. We're walking around Green Lake again. And she said, "Um, so I'm not going to help you, actually. (laughs) And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And again, at the time, I had not come out into my own in the way that I have now. So I didn't push her on really why. Um, I just figured she had a more direct line to God in her prayers than I did or something. I don't know. Um, and I just, okay, well, in that case, uh, would you help me find something here and in Seattle? And so she agreed to do that or or no, the reason why she said that she wouldn't help me move to DC is she was like, I don't know why, but whenever I pray about it, I really feel like you're supposed to stay here in Seattle. Um, so that was her reasoning and I just let it drop. 
so I started interviewing at lots of different um, uh, nonprofits and just some really exciting sounding opportunities. And every single time it was down to me and one other person and the other person got it. And it was probably five or six different times of stuff that I was starting to really get excited about staying for. And I remember feeling like, and I'm sure God doesn't talk like this, but this is kind of how I felt like he was <laughs> telling me, you don't suck, but this is not where I want you. Like I, you, you have every ability to do this job. That's why I allowed you to get up this far in the process, but this is not the spot that you're supposed to be is essentially what I was taking from him. And so finally I met with Heather again and I said, Hey, uh, I'm either going to have to find anything or I'm going to have to move home with mom and dad, which is fine. I just don't really want to do that. You know, I'm early, early twenties at the time. And you know, you just don't really want to go back. And, uh, so she said, well, my boyfriend's company's hiring. It's just an administrative assistant job. So I know it's not what you want to ultimately do, but at least it'll pay the bills while you are figuring things out. So I did get that job and her boyfriend um, is now my husband. <laughs> so um, what I left out is that Ben was actually, so Heather was my mentor, but my dad was Ben's mentor and my dad mentored a lot of young professionals throughout his career as an entrepreneur. And um, I didn't know these guys, you know, why would I? That was a very, you know, whatever. And uh, so it wasn't until I got to know Heather as well as I did that I was at coffee with my folks and they came through the door and my dad gave Ben a hug. And so it just very random. So Ben and I worked together for several years and um, he, I have nothing to do with their breakup at all. They were broken up for a year or two before he and I ever got together, but he's eight years older than I am. So it never occurred to either of us, it would ever be anything. But um, one day we realized that we were in love and four months later we were engaged and four months later we were married. <laughs> and four months later after that, I was pregnant. Oh my so, gosh. Four is really big in our story. It goes on and on and on. It's really weird. Um, but, you know, it's really cool to have worked with someone for as long as I did, who I got to know in very various aspects. So I saw him when business deals went well or when business deals went south. I saw how he handled um situations that maybe weren't super ethical not on his side but how he reacted to other people being unethical to him or um you know when he was dating girls that he shouldn't have been dating how did he handle that um i put together his best date ever and i'm still waiting for my version of it um and we would set each other up with our roommates and our best friends and so it's just really funny to have a history with someone outside of initially just starting to date does that make sense yes absolutely well <laughs> the reason i asked is because i had seen some of that story and it made me think of ash and i right away because we have not this it's not as eerily like coincidental as yours like kind of fate but we met and we were both grad assistants at Pitt, doing our masters 
and we were both dating other people at the time. And we, in the same way, we were working together and we just developed a friendship over the next like year and a half to where it just kind of like snowball effect after the first six months of she didn't really like me. She thought I was kind of a like a D bag and way too into myself. <laughs> but eventually we became friends and then it went from friends to being best friends to never being apart to spending every day together. I was picking her up for work. I was taking her home. We were spending the weekends together and it just became like this inseparable friendship to where then one day I looked at her and I was like, I think I love you or something along those lines. Uh-huh. And at the time she was still dating somebody else. And she was like, you, you can't say that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well, that's how I feel. So you need to figure it out. Uh, but obviously now we're, we're married, but we moved very fast as well. Like we, we started dating, moved in three months later, got engaged six months after that. And then COVID happened. So we didn't keep up with the rapidness cause we had to delay it, but we're now married. Start and so COVID. just a very similar story of that friendship before the relationship and how like you were getting at how i don't want to say important but how unique it is and how beneficial it can be to see that person outside of the relationship and how they respond and react to different situations yep absolutely yeah our stories really do line up really well yeah it's very very uh very eerily similar (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) cool and so now i'm going to kind of mesh the beginning of this conversation to now you had mm-hmm. said you were living, you're living the life you never wanted to live. When you and Ben first got together, or let me say this, were you together when you had this moment of, oh crap, everything I've been planning for my life isn't what God wants me to do? And if so, like, how did he react to that news of like, hey, I'm going to just scrap all this? And Yeah, beautifully, no. So I think that's another really special part of our story is that God really grew us um, strong separately before he put us together. So I remember in college, uh, I was in like a relationship development class for some prereq that I had to take. And our professors are very well-known authors and speakers in that world. Like they've got, you know, 30 years of books out. And they talked about... Um, you want to be a letter H and not a letter A. And at the time I thought it was, you know, it didn't really make sense to me because I wasn't at that place in life, but, you know, leaning on one another and creating that A shape or an A frame kind of house or whatever. If one of them, if one of you struggles, you're both going to fall. But if you are an H and you're both have strong, um, you know, steady sides, and then you're connected at the center, if one of you falls, you're going to hold the other one up. So I think that that's really how we were um, when we got together. And of course, we still had our struggles and all that, but we're still growing even now today. But I think the Lord allowed me to go through that that you're referencing, and I'll follow up with a little bit more backstory so everyone else knows what we're talking about. Um, The Lord allowed me to go through that before um, Ben and I really even knew each other. So, um, again, I'm from Seattle and anyone that watches Grey's Anatomy, uh, will know that there is a bench that they've showed since the inception of the, the show. I'm sure they still even show it. I haven't watched it for the past couple of years, but, um, there's a shot of the space needle with this bench in front of it. 
Um, and that was my bench that I always sat on. And this was well before Grey's Anatomy started. So I didn't know how famous that bench would become. But it was just at this park called Cary Park. And it's the most picturesque spot um, just to see the city. And it was just a couple minutes from my apartment. So I would just walk over there and and do my Bible reading and my journaling and just my dreaming about the future. And I had recently graduated from college. So it was that kind of dreamy part of life where, you know, the whole world's in front of you. And again, at the time I was planning, I was um, figuring out where I wanted to get my master's in art history. And one day I was sitting on that little park bench and I was praying and I there have been a couple times in my life where I genuinely feel like God was whispering in my ear or whispering in my heart. Like there's no other way to really describe it. Kind of like when you, someone asks you, how do you know that you're, you know, you're supposed to get married to your spouse and you say, well, I just knew it's that kind of feeling. Well, that day it was that. And I, I felt like he was saying, Hey, um, which life are you after? And I could see down below the Space Needle, all the hubbub of that city down below. And again, I thought that's what I wanted. That's why I wanted to move to DC, you know, around that time anyway. Um, and, you know, is all that hubbub down there, all that toiling, all that busyness, is that the life you want? Or could you possibly, and I looked over um, to my right and you could see the ferry boats drifting just so dreamily from the port to the San Juan Islands. And um, he was like, or could you possibly be after that? You know, a life that's slower, a life that's more point A to point B, but a life that has a lot of intentionality behind it. Like that ferry boat knows where its destination is. And all these people down here, all this just chaos, they may or may not. And even if they do get to their destination, is it as straight as it could have been. So um, I realized as I just kind of pondered in that, that I had planned and planned God right out of my plans. You know, I love to plan things and I love to dream and, and think of, I don't know, you know, think of, about a big life that I could create for myself, but I'd never really consulted him in any of it. I was, um, I just kind of gone ahead of him like a puppy, you know, <laughs> gone ahead of their owner and gotten gotten a little stuck and a little further out than I should have gone. So um, that's really the day that changed everything. And I opened my hands that day and I was like, okay, God, you know, if I have one life to live, I truly want it to be the one that you have created me for. And I don't, I don't want to waste anything. So send me, I don't know where you're going to send me use me. I don't know how you're going to use me. Um, but that's truly what I want. And I think in that moment, I assumed that the next morning I'd wake up and, oh, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be with my life now. But in reality, I didn't feel any different. I didn't know anything more than I knew before. Uh, but as days went on, I did know what I was not supposed to do, which sometimes is just as good as knowing what you are supposed to do. So um, I really felt like I was not supposed to continue on in art history. And um, so just kind of 
felt like I was in a place where God was revealing things little by little and learning to be okay with the weight. And I have since realized that the weight is a really beautiful moment of your time and moment of your life because that's a time of preparation. So there's, if you are in a weight, whether you're waiting, you're feeling like you're waiting for a spouse or feeling like you're waiting for your dream job to arrive or, you know, us being kind of in the tail end of all the COVID stuff, hopefully tail end, um, you know, there's a lot of waiting going on. Um, so truly it is a time to sit in that and do the hard work because even if you were looking at scripture, um, Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac to be born and really how sad or scary it would be if he was not a man of character. Like there was a lot of building up of who he needed to be before he was going to be a father of an entire nation. And um, so we need to be conscious of creating um, a person that could be used for that big thing um, within that waiting time. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I'm sure Ash wanted to chime in and say the exact same thing. Yeah, I, li- I have like tears in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think you're so right. I think the waiting is something that it's really difficult when you're in that season, but it does prepare you for the plans that he has in store for you. And I use the example back to our relationship all the time. I waited for her for almost a year and a half to decide that that relationship that she was in wasn't what she wanted, wasn't what God was calling her towards. And in that time, yes, I was like, why is this happening? I I don't want to wait. Like, And all of these other things that were popping in my head, but that waiting helps me cultivate greater patience that help me trust in God more and lean more into him and get stronger in my prayer. And, and that can be applied to like, whatever the situation is, whether like you were just getting out of waiting for a spouse, waiting for a job, waiting for financial freedom, whatever it may be. So I really love that. And I, what I love even more is that you expanded upon this. Cause I was going to ask you, you had this moment on that bench of feeling like God was whispering to you or that he spoke to you and you needed to open to him and just surrender your life to him and pursue this, his will. And I think a lot of times, especially like in the church world in Christianity, we share the, those types of stories and then we sort of just cut it off there at the end and fast forward to current time. And it's like, Mm -hmm. wow, like God spoke to them and boom, their life just turned right around (laughs) when in reality, it's almost never that way. And it is a lot of, waiting and being patient and really searching and just trusting in him. And there might be 17 different stepping stones along the way to get you to where he's calling you towards. But I just love how you expanded upon that because it can get very misconstrued that one day you'll just have this moment and God will speak into your life and everything will be rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. (laughs) Yeah. And that's really what my first book is about. It's called Beautifully Interrupted. And it talks about how how important that waiting season is, but it also talks about eventually when I did realize what I was being called for, I was scared and I was like, wait a second, that's not really what I signed up for. And I don't know if I wanna do that. And I had to recognize that you can't just kind of pick and choose when God, you know, if you're saying, okay, God, use me, or, you know, I'm following you, 
and then he asks you to do something, you can't be like, well, actually, I don't know if I want to do that one. <laughs> I'm going to skip that one. Thanks, though. Um, because that's contrary to the very concept of following him. So um, it talks all about just, just really vulnerable um, ideals and um, feelings that we have through all of this. And sometimes our calling might feel smaller than we feel like it should be. So say you're a CEO of a company and you are just rocking it and things are going great and um, you're really thriving. And then all of a sudden you have this feeling like God's asking you to, I don't know, let your spouse take their dream forward. And so you're stepping back and you're suddenly a, at home with the kids or you take a job in a nonprofit or you're homeschooling your children or just something that you feel like is smaller than your current season. And that's every bit as scary. Yeah, absolutely. And along those same lines, I think something that's important too is when you do have these moments or you, you gain some clarity with God and you are pursuing his will, something that I always talk to some of our clients about, but just between Ash and I in general is you can pray and pray and pray all you want for something. And number one, you have to sometimes just sit in that silence and actually listen to God because a lot of times we're praying so much that we're not listening. And then number two, you still have to take the action. You can't just sit around and wait for God to do it for you because he's not going to do it for you, but he will enable you to find success in whatever that pursuit is if it's within his will. And so like you were saying, it's scary. It is scary, but you still have to take the action or else nothing's going to come to fruition. Yes. Oh my gosh. Spot on. And really what you said about praying is how so many of us pray. I mean, including me at times. And I think it's often like we are going to the doctor and we're sitting on the paper covered bench table thing. And we're like, oh, doctor, my head hurts. My stomach hurts. I've got an ache in my big toe. You know, you just go through all your ailments of what's wrong. And then you're like, okay, you know, after you do your big laundry list of things, okay, thanks doctor, see you later. And you grab your bag and you leave. And meanwhile, the doctor's like, uh, do you not realize that I can help you? Can you just sit here for a minute? Like, let's, <laughs> let's talk this through. And I think that's how a lot of us pray. We just sit there and we say all of our, you know, prayer requests and then amen. And then we get on with life. But having that those moments of silence in our day so that we can truly hear his response. I think often he is talking to us, but our lives are so loud and busy. We don't hear it. And um, he's not typically, again, like you just said, going to drop something right in your lap where it's so ridiculously obvious. You can't ignore it. A lot of times it's just little drops and little inklings. So, you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation, it doesn't mean that you have to sit on your couch or your chair and just sit there while you're praying. You can pray, you know, walking your dog or while you're working out or doing whatever, but maybe just have your earphones off and um, maybe have that podcast off. Um, not this podcast, but other podcasts, obviously. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, you know, turn off the podcast, turn off the TV, turn off the radio in the car when you're driving from time to time and just sit in that silence. And it makes us really uncomfortable a lot of times 
And honestly, if you're uncomfortable in silence, it means that something's going on that you need to pay attention to. That's a big red flag. You need to be able to be comfortable in silence um, because you should be your best company. Um, and that's truly when God is going to start doing that whispering. Yeah, I love that. And that's a, what I, when you just said whispering, that's how I was going to cap off that piece of the conversation is the same pastor who I spoke about earlier, my best friend's dad, he said that at one point and has always stuck with me that God's not going to always yell at you or speak so loudly at you that you immediately pivot and, and move in his direction. A lot of times it is just a whisper. And in order for you to hear it, you need to sit in that silence. You need to eliminate the distractions. And so I'm right on the same page with you there, 100%. Now, you had said that there was a, a period of waiting in that time and well, let me fast forward. So there was a period of waiting. Then you, at some point you got married to Ben. Mm -hmm. Where in that that timeline did you start to feel called to have children? Because you had mentioned at the beginning, you didn't like kids. That was like a no, <laughs> like stay the hell away from me. And then now you have six of them. So yeah. how did that all come about? So, and again, this was really a point of our story. Well, Ben always wanted kids because he really... He and he always wanted a good relationship. He was the guy in the frat house, or like the only guy in the frat house that's reading relation book relationship books because he knew what he did not want and he knew what did not work, but he didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like. Um, or how to have, you know, how to be a he never really had a dad, you know, his his dad was career military and was always deployed. Um, and then his stepdad, obviously not someone to emulate. So, um, he separately already wanted kids. And then before, when we were just friends and, you know, after that day on that park bench in Cary park, um, just slowly. And again, just like a drip from the faucet, just dripping, dripping, dripping. Um, I would see people with their kids. And, you know, I was getting to the age where a lot of my friends were starting to have kids. I was one of the oldest uh, in our friend group to get married. And just seeing that maybe it looked differently than I thought that it did. I thought that it was like in every movie um, where the kids are sneaking snakes in their pockets and bringing a raccoon into the bathroom to give them a bath and like everything's ripped to shreds. And what I don't know. What movies are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe every like after school special. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but, and that's not how my growing up was. So I don't know why I had this in my mind, but it just, I think just terrified me. And um, I thought, you know, you can't ever have nice things again, which honestly, that's a little bit true for a couple of years <laughs> as they find Sharpies and, you know, draw on the walls and such. But, uh, I, my, one of my best friends, her sister, um, had dinner with us and her sister was a couple years older than us at the time or still not at the time. Um, and, uh, she was saying, you know, where do you want to be? And she actually lived in DC at the time she worked for a Senator and I was just telling her all my hopes and dreams. And again, this was, pre park bench by, by probably just a couple months. And I was just sharing all the thoughts and dreams. And she said, um, 
you don't want kids? And I said, no, not like even a little bit. And she said, well, your Christmases are going to be really quiet. And that one random backhanded, nothing of a comment rocked me for weeks and for months. And I did start to think, what kind of life am I creating? And what kind of life am I actually after? Um, is it going to be lonely? <laughs> um, and so that was really the beginning of wondering if maybe I was wrong in how I was picturing what a family looked like. Um, so by the time Ben and I got together, I had very different thoughts. Um, and we both knew that we wanted to live a life outside of ourselves and um, live a life that looked different. We just didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. So we had just started officially dating um, in our little four month dating period. And we were at an auction downtown Seattle and there was a picture of a little boy, a black and white picture of a little boy in Malawi praying. Malawi is in Africa, if you don't know. And um, it just spurred a lot of conversation. And it's like the blinders, like those horse blinders, you know, um, just sprang off of our eyes. And it's suddenly we could just see the, the calling and kind of passion and ministry, I guess, that God was asking us to do. And it was just in a, just by looking at a picture, um, we suddenly knew that adoption was in our future, specifically from Africa. Again, we weren't even engaged yet. Um, so we knew it wasn't right then, but we knew that that was coming up in our future at some point. So uh, yeah, once, once our second son was born, then we started doing more research and figuring out exactly where we wanted to adopt from and it all kind of went from there. Yeah, and then obviously it snowballed because now you have four adopted kids. Yeah. So Which we brought home incredible. a little, yeah, we brought home a little girl first who was five months at the time. Now she's 11. And then while we were in the process of bringing her home, we really felt like God was asking us to also bring home an older boy. Um, so the backside of our agency's website has just, you know, a, a password to kind of get in. Um, and it's all the older kids. Um, it's all the, they call them waiting children. So whether it's kids with special needs or kids that aren't babies, because everyone wants a baby. Um, and we would just pray over each of those faces, maybe every week, every other week after we put the boys down to bed at night. And one night we were praying over them and there was this little boy um, who was six and just, there was something about him. And it, you know, he wasn't cuter than the rest because they're all so darling and, they were just, it was just obviously God. And so we um, asked for more information about him. And at the time, now everything's, you know, online, but at the time they would just send you a DVD. Um, it was like 60 seconds of him playing soccer and saying the ABCs in English. It was like nothing, but at least it was something. And so we're asking for prayer and discernment from all of our friends and our family. And this is actually a good part of, of, I was going to mention this earlier and then I got off on a different tangent. So this is actually swings around to what we were talking about before. Um, and every single person said, do not do it. We did not have one single person in our life and our pastor and his wife were dear friends. Um, 
again, my family, his family, all of our friends said, no, this is a horrible idea for various reasons. Some said, do not go outside the birth order, which is a thing um, that Ben and I don't agree with, but it's a big thing in the adoption community where your oldest child needs to remain their old, the oldest or else they feel displaced and don't know where they fit within the family structure. Um, some of them are like, you're just, you know, Americans trying to save the world and you're doing too much too fast, you know, your, your boys are still young and you're bringing home another baby, you know, just hold off. So various reasons why people said that we shouldn't do it, but we got scared and we told the agency, I'm so sorry to have wasted your time. I just, I think maybe he's not the right fit for us. And, um, again, four months, four months pass from that time to when we get the phone call saying it's time to bring Imani home. And so at the time you would go to Ethiopia twice per adoption. Um, and so this was our second trip to bring her home. And um, on that phone call, when she was telling us it was, it was time, uh, she also said, hey, by the way, that little boy that you were looking at, he has been moved from um, you know, 15 hours in this teeny tiny little remote village off the border of South Sudan and Ethiopia. Um, to 15 minutes away from where you're going to be staying do you have any desire to see him he, you know you could just go to his orphanage and bring some jump ropes and some gum and just play with the kids for the afternoon he would have no idea that you were there specifically to see him and it comes out between ben and i that we thought about this kid all the time and we prayed for him every day but we thought that the door had closed and so we just didn't even talk about it and so uh, we prayed together and we're like, okay, um, I think maybe the door is not closed. So we fly into Ethiopia, into Addis Ababa, which is the capital, and get in our, you know, little tin can of a van. If you've been to a third world country, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, we go into their, um, the orphanage area and they're closing the big gates behind us. And um, Thomaskin is his given name. Um, he's renamed himself Ezekiel. He's uh, a junior in high school now, but he jumped down. He was the first one out the door, jumped down the four stairs from the building down to where our, our van was being parked and started playing, you know, grabbed a soccer ball and started playing soccer with Ben. Meanwhile, I am leaning up against this van, um, just taking it all in and the little girls are starting to braid my hair and I'm just praying over this sweet kid. I'm like, Lord, I pray that you would just um, bring him a family. I pray that he feels loved. I pray that he's cared for even without, you know, even while here, I pray that he just really, really feels joy and is loved and just, you know, just again, praying for a family for him. And um, it was just another one of those moments where God was talking to me and just like a whisper in my ear, this is your son, just a broken record in my ear until I actually grasped what was being said. Um, because it was said numerous times in my ear before I realized, oh wait, this is my son. Oh my gosh, oh Lord, <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm praying for a family for him, but I didn't mean that was me. And just knowing, oh my gosh, no, this is my son and he's living in an orphanage and that's not okay. And we need to get him home. And so um, Imani, the our daughter who we were bringing home and was five months, she was nine pounds at five months old. So super, super malnourished, just like you see in all the, the ads, you know, about 
um, needing to help um, kids across the world. And just the big distended tummy, the skin just falling off of her limbs, just she was in just dire straits. She was not doing well. So after leaving the orphanage, um, of Ezekiel's orphanage, they were in different places, um, she took up 100% of our time. We were meeting with the embassy, trying to get her out even earlier because she really was so lethargic that we were getting nervous that she was actually not okay. Um, so we didn't talk about him at all. And um, it was the night before we left that we finally were like, okay, <laughs> let's talk about this little boy. And Ben said exactly the same thing that I felt. And so we knew that this kid, this sweet little boy was our son. But, you know, within our conversations, when we initially had been praying, been praying for discernment and wisdom and asking all of our friends and family, um, my dad sat knee to knee with me and said, you're going to destroy your family if you bring this little boy home. And again, that kind of conversation within our friends and family had gotten us really scared. And adoption is really big in my family. I have um, my mom has two brothers, one adopted, one biological, and the biological brother had four biological kids and then became a foster parent or he and his wife became foster parents and they had 100, 150 kids in 30 years. Um, so my parents saw a lot of the pain and trauma and hard stuff that these sweet kids had experienced and um, the hard stuff that my aunt and uncle went through because of it. And I think as parents, we really want to protect our children from pain. And we want, we want life to be unicorns and rainbows all the time. But in reality, if we're that, if it's only good stuff all the time, we are not going to be people of depth. We are going to be surfacey people who don't understand real life. And so, you know, our, our parents and our friends is trying to protect us as parents and friends do, it's just a good reminder that our calling isn't their calling. And kind of same thing as we were talking with that woodworker that was telling me shame on me for not using my gifts. He didn't understand because that was not, you know, his calling was art in woodworking. He was, he's an amazing artist in, in that realm. And, and my art and my creativity looks different than that. And your calling is going to look different than my calling. And um, so we need to recognize that if people, we still should ask for support and prayer and discernment from our friends and family, of course. But if they are not um, super on board, don't freak out. Because again, the Lord is speaking to you. He is not necessarily speaking to them and even speaking to them about you. So we needed to recognize who did we trust more? Did we trust our friends and family more that they knew more? Or do we truly trust that God was asking us to do something? And a lot of times he's gonna ask you to do something that seems scary, that seems bigger or littler than you feel like it should be. And this was one of those moments. Um, and I think a lot of times we say that God's only going to give you as much as you can handle. And that is nowhere in scripture. Look for it. I dare you. It is not in there. And that is something that we have come up with over time. And of course, he's going to give us more than we can handle. He's God. And if we could do everything on our own, 
why would we think that we needed him at all? Um, we would just be like, yeah, I worked hard for that or I hustled or whatever. We would take it all on ourselves. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And I think the, to your point at the very end, the fact that we like to justify that God will never give us more than we can handle. It makes me think of, you know, the, the scripture of, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and how often that verse is misinterpreted to really be exactly what you're saying. Like he will give me the strength before the event Mm -hmm. so that I can accomplish it. When in context within the Bible, it's actually, he's speaking after all of these things have already occurred in his life. And he's saying that because of God and my faith in him, I was able to accomplish all these things. So it's really after the fact, when you're looking at it in context and that justifies your point of, it's not about what we can handle in the moment. It's about Mm -hmm. our faith leaning into him and then pursuing those things. And then we can, in retrospect, say, wow, like through Christ, I was able to do all these things. Yeah. Yeah. He, what is it that they say? Um, He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Yeah, that's good. I've actually never heard that. I like that. I like that a lot. You can steal it. I'll let you. I I don't know who came up with it, but I love it. Yeah, no, that's really good. Uh, And so that story is absolutely incredible. And so those were your first two adopted children, correct? Mm-hmm, correct. And then you adopted two more. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure those stories are also incredible. But just to keep the conversation going here, I'm going to skip yeah. that just for a second. Hopefully that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, but so you adopt these four children, you have two kids of your own. Um, you have this, like, literally tribe. Right of, there. Go ahead. I'm gonna stop you right there. Because a lot of people say that they're all my own. And I no, know so, that that's a little yeah. thing to stop. But there's been so many things that people have unintentionally said in front of my kids that have been very wounding so that's fair that is fair so let me say two (laughs) biological children there you go four adopted children um where in this entire journey because we've gone through a lot in your life because i'm trying to get to this point now of the the biblical literacy and the books that you're writing where did that come into play because at some point along your journey i'm sure that was something god started calling you towards after the whole park bench moment of hey, instead of being a curator, instead of studying art and doing that, you're going to now become an author and a writer and write Bible or write devotionals and Bible studies and all these things. Where did that come about? Um, let's see. My, in between my sophomore and junior year in college, I took a year off and went to Bible school in England. And it was very like, if you've seen Downton Abbey, my school looked, looked, literally looked like Downton Abbey. Um, it was beautiful. It was in the Lakes District um, uh, near Scotland, just beautiful. And it was the first time that I read the Bible, like cover to cover. It was part of what we were supposed to do. And that's in the worst, by the way. Cover was, to cover is hard. It, it, was all, it took me a year to do. And, but in doing that, I realized, oh, wow, these are not just random Bible stories that I had heard through the years. Everything in the Bible actually connects. And it took reading it through like that to recognize that there is a string that goes through all of scripture. And one thing truly does connect to another. And there really was a reason why all those genealogy verses that we want to fall asleep while reading um like there's a reason that those are in there because 
genealogy was very important to them. And you'll read um, someone's name and recognize, oh my gosh, wait a second. You know, like someone is actually related to someone else and there's heritage and there's all sorts of stories that kind of connect back and around. Um, and it was really interesting to me. And, um, you know, I always knew how important it was growing up in a Christian household, how important it was to do my devotions and read the Bible and things like that. But in call, you know, out of college or in college, just kind of, it got sporadic a little bit and it wasn't necessarily the most important thing to me at certain, certain season in, in life. And, um, then as I got back to it, I just really recognized the importance of it. And then fast forward to being a mom and um, bringing home kids six and seven, or I mean, sorry, five and six, um, people kept telling me that I needed to write a book. And I was like, I'm sorry, with what time do I do that? I have six children and our oldest is a teenager and doesn't speak English and our youngest is you know, a tiny baby. And that's really funny that you think that I have time for that. But eventually, um, over the courses of months, I actually started and I would get up at four, between four and 4.30 and be at Starbucks when it opened and work there for a couple hours. And Ben would get the kids up and, and ready for school. And then I would take them to school and he would head to work. And um, I fell in love with writing. And I, I really felt like it was just me writing our story to be handed down through the generations because it's a really interesting story. Um, but through me doing this for like a year and a half at least, I just realized that there was more to our story. Um, it wasn't a memoir. It was truly a lot of ways to hear God and learn um, about what it really means to I don't know, live a life that you, that is being used by God. So that turned into that first book, Beautifully Interrupted, that I referenced before. And um, our pastor, um, we, we since moved to Denver. Uh, we did a short stint in San Antonio, which is where we lived when we brought home our first two kids. Moved to Denver and became really dear friends with our pastor and his wife, Naru Palfons. And um I was leading the women's ministry at church and um, he, I was meeting with him one day talking about what I should be teaching next. And I had all these resources in front of me, all these big Bible diggers, you know, diving deep into scripture. And he was like, no, I want you to teach. And I was like, I know that's why I'm here. <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 I want you. And it didn't occur to me what he was actually saying that he wanted me to write the Bible studies that I was teaching. And, and finally it dawned on me what he was trying to express. And, and I was like, you're stupid. No, I could never do that. And <laughs> <laughs> telling your, your pastor they're stupid is, you know, kind of funny. Um, but anyway, we had a conversation about it and he was like, you're ready. You need to do this. So I did. And I wrote a 17 week study on first Samuel, which is like probably the <laughs> it's probably like doing a commentary in a Bible study. Um, it was very deep. And at that, that same point, I was, um, I had found an agent, a literary agent who was shopping my book out, my beautifully interrupted book out to different publishing houses and a 
book when it is shopped out to different houses, it's not just a couple chapters. It is a 35 plus page, you know, huge, beautifully curated PDF with all sorts of pictures and images and um, all sorts of stuff about what you've done before, what you would like to do, different ideas, different freebies you've done on your blog, different podcasts and all sorts of the stuff that you've been on or hosted or whatever. Um, and so this one publishing house didn't want Beautifully Interrupted because it's not the type of book that they write or that they put out, but they were like, tell me about all these like freebie Bible studies that you're putting out on your blog. And so they came out and had coffee with me and I just shared all this stuff that I've been learning and and they were like, oh, wow, like you really love the Bible. <laughs> you really love this stuff and you love teaching it. And we're all excited just listening to all of your cool, you know, things that you're learning. And so they um, just from, again, these freebies that I had put on my blog and talking about this class that I had been teaching at church, um, they signed me a three book deal. And um, those three have since come out. Um, and then sign me for three more. So, so yeah, it's, it's, I just kind of fell into it. I was not planning to do it. I was, it was not again, part of my 20 year plan, but it was something that God was definitely opening the door for just little by little. And I would take a step, kind of pray and assess, figure out if this was something I was really supposed to be taking my time to do. Um, and again, did not feel qualified for it. I don't have, I never went to min, uh, seminary. I don't have a big background in this. And they actually really liked that. They, they were like, at some point, yeah, you should probably, you know, get, you know, get your master's and go to seminary. But we like that you're just a normal everyday person that just really loves to dig in and figure things out. So um, yeah, so at the moment I have one on Joshua, that's a leadership book, um, leading wherever you are. And then one on Psalms, that's really all the Psalms that correspond with first and second Samuel stories. So I feel like when you're reading the Psalms, a lot of times, like, why is David upset? Why is he confused? Why is he feeling a certain way? Well, what a lot of us don't know is that there's actually evidence of what's going on in the rest of, of that. So, um, digging in that way. So that one's calling called saying yes in the darkness, um, which the time that I was writing that Bible study was interesting because I was going through a really, really, really hard time in our family. So I was walking through the darkness while writing it. Um, and that one has actually sold really well within the realm of COVID. Um, and then um, Philippians, um, living for what really matters. All of a sudden I blanked on the title. Um, <laughs> Philippians living for what really matters. And crazily enough, that one was up for Bible study of the year. I was a finalist for Bible study year on that one. So again, God is just opening doors that I didn't think that I would ever walk through. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's incredible. And uh, I'm so happy you shared that story. And it's just, it's really a testament to, as you've said a couple of times, God opening the door because you wrote the first book and I'm sure in your mind, even when you were writing the Bible studies for your church, you weren't thinking, hey, these can be the next publications. No, never. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so now this freebie has turned into, you know, 
a legitimate publication that you're now selling and reaching more people with and changing more lives with. And it's really cool to hear that you then signed for another three. So I'm assuming there are more in the works. Yeah. Are those, are can you share are those also going to be Bible studies or are they going to be actual books? Not yeah, those Bible will be studies Bible studies. I just finished the final, final, final edits of the next one. And so it comes out fall 2022. It's up for pre-order now, um, but it's called Finding Your Story. I'm sorry, Finding Your Place in God's Story. And it's on the five women in Jesus's genealogy. So um, it's, I'm really, really proud of it. It was probably the hardest thing that I've ever written. Um, but it's really, really good and talks about, you know, women in the margins are still used so greatly. So if we think that our story is too hard or we're too big or we're too little or whatever it is, we can absolutely still be used. And these women are not perfect women by any means. They have a past that are, you know, are full of struggle and now they are in the family of Jesus. Like they literally are Jesus's you know, many times grandmothers, great, great, great grandmothers, but um, they are the only five women that are listed within his, um, within his genealogy. And that's usually just is men are mentioned. So it's mm. pretty cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you had mentioned it's the hardest book that you've written. Was it because you had to dig so deep into scripture or what, what made it so difficult? Um, partially because it was i was initially contracted to do a advent study and so i i feel like a lot of advent books are very surfacey and very um just they feel they feel good and i like that but at the same time it doesn't necessarily feel like real life because life is hard and life is messy and me doing a craft with my kids isn't necessarily realistic um, as I'm sharing the Christmas story. Um, so I wrote the first draft and turned it in, um, you know, six, nine months ago. And they were so blown away with it that they changed it and they didn't want it to be an Advent study anymore. They wanted it to be applicable all year round. Mm -hmm. So I had to rewrite it and make it not full of Christmas stories and, you know, referencing nativity specifically or referencing Christmas specifically because they thought it was such a um just an important book for women especially mm -hmm. at this point and where we are so again I it's really really important to me that um I am not a white girl coming with a white story um but instead really embracing other people's voices um not copying their voices I don't mean that but including stories from, you know, Native Americans or, um, you know, women that are BIPOC or, you know, just all sorts of different voices. And, um, you know, I include a story of a woman who um, lost her legs and, you know, we all are not the same. And it's really important to me that even if we're walking separate stories, that we are all under the same umbrella of the family of God. So all of my covers are 
at, at this point, eventually it'll change because um, hopefully there'll be a whole shelf full of, of my books. But at this point, all my covers are women of color, um, which again is unusual within the Christian realm because quote unquote, um, women of color on covers don't sell. Um, and that is something that we don't think should be true. So we are trying to, I don't know, be a be an effective change in that because um, we want this truly to be stories um not stories because that makes it again sound surfacey this is digging deep in in for women of of all ages and colors and backgrounds so i think that's why because it was really important to me to not make this feel like it's just for someone that looks like me or sounds like me mm -hmm. yeah but representing a bigger a broader audience, uh, 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 like a group of in, of women, and mm -hmm. making sure that you're speaking for them and that you're representing them well. So I can definitely appreciate that. Now, before we move on to your group course here and kind of close things out with your books, you three more that are going to be Bible studies. Do you ever want to write another? I don't. I don't know what the proper term is. Just another standard book. Yeah, yeah. It's called a regular trade book. Trade book. There we go. Um. Yes. And it's funny you say that because I was going to email my publisher actually today. Um, so my publishing house is called NavPress and we work as kind of sister relationship with one of the larger um, publishing houses. So even if NavPress that does more Bible studies wouldn't put out a traditional trade book, um, I now have relationships with this sister company um, that does. So I think that's another way that God really surrounded me with, I don't know, like he just, he's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just, he thinks outside of the current situation. So me being in a house that is actually two houses, two publishing houses actually put my book out, um, gives me a greater reach. So I'm going to email today, actually wanting to put out a book that's titled what my course is called, oh, um, okay. called Living Lighter. Well, perfect segue. So Living Lighter, tell us so about that. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. So now Living Lighter is, when I say the group course, it's something that we each, all of us had built or had a framework through that Empower course that we met each other through. Can you just elaborate a little bit on what the course is, maybe how um, how you take individuals through that, what it looks like? Give us an idea. Yeah, so again, it's called Living Lighter. And right now it's eight weeks, but I'm going to change it to 10 because I feel like I don't want these ladies to be drinking from a fire hose. Um, I want there to be enough time to really ingest all the information. But um eight weeks to living a less burdened life. And I was at pre-COVID, I was at the point where, ask Teresa to do it because she does it all. And I think that those of us who maybe are more type A, um, people often give more to or ask to do more things because they just assume, oh, you can do it all. So let's just load you up even more. And so I realized, again, right before COVID hit, 
that I was falling apart. So it was really interesting timing anyway. Again, I was one of the leaders in our women's ministry at church. I was working full time doing my books. I was also working um, a lot with a um, company that works with um, health and um, like getting toxins out of out of personal care products and stuff like that. And just all these other things, you know, people are asking me to be room mom and they were asking me to volunteer here and over there. And, and we were hosting Bible study and um, just doing too many things. And um, I have a lot of health issues. And so I already knew that my health was really struggling and I have for years. And if I am not careful, I end up in bed for months at a time. So I was already knowing that I needed to protect my time better. So when COVID hit and I recognized I cannot, nor do I ever want to relive that pace again, um, I need, I've spent, you know, now we're 2022, I've spent the last two years really digging into how do I live lighter? How do I do things better? I've read over a hundred books, maybe well, 2020, I read 100 books. 2021, I read, my last count was um, 60, um, but that was before the end of the year. Um, so I'm obviously a huge book nerd, but I really, I'm just a sponge. I want to know, I have to do things differently. And so this course um, has really been all the things that I've been learning. And it's not me just regurgitating all the things that I've been learning from books or from various courses that I've taken and things like that. It's what I've learned and truly implemented within my own life and how different my life is now. And um, so it digs into um, home, mind, body, and soul. So um, every two weeks we go into a different aspect of that and that, you know, it's specifically geared toward moms that have you know, a very full life, but a lot of it's mindset stuff. It's a lot of productivity things and, and not necessarily hacks, but reframing the way that we're, we're spending our time. And a lot of it is, you know, when you wrap up your day and you're like, Oh, I did not get enough done. Well, have you ever defined what enough is? How do we ever know if we've done enough, if we don't even put a name to that? So again, it's just a lot of reframing um different things of our life yeah i love that and i think that's a hugely beneficial course i know just from the women in my life that that would definitely help a, a ton of them because i think not only women and moms but a lot of us fall into that category of wanting to be the person that can do it all and then yeah. sort of feeling trapped in that that role and and reaching burnout and and experiencing all these things so i really like that and then i'm assuming just from like a business tactical standpoint, you'll then keep the course and then you'll have the book to go with it and you'll just ship that out to everybody that signs up. Fingers so, crossed. Yes. Yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, well, amazing. Now, just to kind of wrap things up here, we've talked all sorts of stuff. We've shared your story, what you're currently in now. If folks listening want to learn more about the Get Wisdom Bible Studies. They want to potentially register for the next round of your Live Lighter course or just follow along with you because they think you're awesome because you have pink hair and you have a tattoo <laughs> and you're a, like 
theologian. Where where can they find you at? Um, so my name is really long, Teresa Swanstrom Anderson. So if you feel like you can't really spell that very easily, um, just go to Get Wisdom Bible Studies, studies with an S dot com. And then it'll just take you directly to my website and my blog and all the things. Awesome. That makes it easy. Yeah. I was going to say you should like just use your initials, but then it's TSA and that's just people associate <laughs> negative things with TSA. <laughs> I've tried a lot of different things through the years and I've tried to buy Teresa.com for a million years and the lady wants so much money that I don't think that I, it'll ever be. I hate when people do that. Someone has <laughs> ballisticperformance.com. They want $10,000. I'm like, dude, I, you I don't even on. have, the website's not even live. I'm not paying you $10,000. <laughs> <Yeah. to the laughs> <domain>. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, so I can relate to your pain there, but okay. So we'll go to getwisdombiblestudy.com. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. They'll go there. They'll be able to find all the info. Well, I think that about wraps up. Ash, did you have anything or you just took no, it all in and you're like in shock? In. I took it all in and I'm in shock. I just love the entire conversation. <laughs> okay. Well, perfect. Uh, Teresa, thank you so much for coming on, sharing with us, being so open and transparent. Uh, Really love the conversation. I know everybody listening is going to love it as well. Uh, and hopefully everything goes well with the potential of the new book, as well as the other three books you've got cooking and all the things you're doing in life. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Whether this is your first time tuning in or if you're here with us each and every week, Ash and I just want to take a moment to express our thanks and gratitude We are so incredibly blessed to have your support and we could not continue to show up week in and week out if it were not for you. If you enjoy what you hear in this channel, please head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, leave a review in there as well. That is how we reach more people and change more lives through the platform. Lastly, if you don't follow us across all of our other social media accounts, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. Our handles are either ballistic.performance or ballistic performance across all of those platforms. Or you can check us out online at trainballistic.com. Again, we appreciate and love you so much, and we hope you have a fantastic week.